Hello and welcome to our fifth episode of Naturally Educated. Today we'll be discussing the true meaning of environmental recovery, how we can actively engage in environmental recovery, and finally some local community initiatives we should know about. Our guest this week is the Dean of Zayed University's College of Natural and Health Sciences, Faris Hawari, who will be bringing a lot of his own experience to the conversation today. So Majid, let's get into this. What does environmental recovery really mean? Okay, so environmental recovery is based on the principles of sustainability. This includes proper use of the land, landscape, ecology, and the restoration of an ecosystem that's been damaged, degraded, or destroyed. It also includes the construction of infrastructure and major civil works in terms of offsetting their negative environmental impact. So do you know when environmental recovery comes into the picture? So sort of, I guess these ecosystems are dynamic communities of plants, animals, and microorganisms interacting with their physical environment as a total functional unit, let's say. Yep. Um, So yeah, you mentioned that these communities can be damaged, degraded, or destroyed by simply human activities. Um, I guess let's talk about how what that exactly means, right? So when we say damage, that means an obvious harmful impact on the ecosystems, yeah. like selective lodging, road building, poaching, or invasions of non-native species. Uh, we talk about degradations. So degradation mm-hmm. means chronic human impact resulting in the loss of biodiversity and the disruption of an ecosystem's structure, composition, and functionality. So, you know, it's sort of the, you know, it has a different meaning to what damage is, but the example for degradation Well, it's over a long period of time. Yeah, totally. So, you know, an example of that would be long-term grazing impacts or long-term overfishing. There you go. Um, so we also talked about destruction, which is the most severe level of impact. When degradation or damage basically removes all macroscopic life and ruins the physical environment. It's, it's really damaging. And, you know, such activities include land clearing, urbanization, coastal erosion, and mining. All right. So that's pretty intense. The mm-hmm. aim of ecological restoration where we're trying to deal with this is to actually initiate or accelerate an ecosystem's recovery following this damage, degradation, or destruction, as you mentioned. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about how this happens. Restoration practitioners don't actually carry out the work of ecosystem recovery. Instead, they're trying to create conditions for that recovery to happen. So plants Mm -hmm. and animals and all the organisms, macro and micro, carry out the work of the recovery themselves, essentially coming to balance again. Assisting recovery can be as simple as removing an invasive species or reintroducing a lost one or a lost function, like things like fire even. It can be as complex as altering the land, planting vegetation, changing the hydrology and the movement of water, and reintroducing Mm -hmm. wildlife. So the goal of ecological restoration is to return that degraded system to its historic trajectory, not its historic condition, to basically where it was going, not how it was. Yeah. 
The ecosystem may not necessarily recover to its former state because of things like climate change, so history plays an important role in restoration, but contemporary conditions, the way things are today, are just as important. Mm -hmm. Of course, yeah. So, Abdurrahman, how can we actually tell when this restoration is complete? Do we have any ideas? So, yeah, simply it's when reach when we reach the full recovery that we expect. Um, mm -hmm. This can take years, decades, or even hundreds of years. So yeah, an ecosystem doesn't simply recover fast. Um, but, you know, even though we can initiate a forest restoration, for instance, uh, yeah. by planting trees, the site should be a fully functioning forest with mature trees for a full recovery to be achieved. Yeah. So it's not as simple as just planting trees and then expecting the next day, you know, to have a full recovery. Yeah. Um, Tomorrow it's done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, obviously that shows us how important it is not to to affect them in the first place, not to, def uh, you know, chop Deforest trees off and, uh, from and the remove woods. those old trees. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if there was, if there were, you know, a 500-year-old tree in the forest that was destroyed, then the restoration should logically take hundreds of years to achieve a full recovery, returning to yeah. you know what it was. Um, during that recovery period, obviously, we can have unpredictable barriers to recovery, so more restoration activities can be done later on to complete the recovery. Mm -hmm. So in most cases, the restoration process continues as the ecosystem recovers and matures. Really, what we're looking at are systems that we're trying to get that that are in balance again, and it's that unbalance mm -hmm. that takes a while for all the organisms to then bring back their part. That's true. So all this information, right? We just got an mm -hmm. insight into how important it is. Why is it important for us uh, to know all this information? So it's important because the environment provides many services to humans and wildlife. And our lives are intricately linked to it. So mm -hmm. let's take an example. A major disturbance to an environment occurs, like a tsunami or a storm. The natural environment in the affected area can be severely impacted, and the ecosystem services that are provided are either destroyed or disrupted. Mm -hmm. So for tsunami, and especially hurricane protection, coastal ecosystems like mangroves or barrier islands and wetlands and coral reefs absorb and reduce some of that damage, the wave energy and the water mm. height. This means they can protect the land from erosion and sustain heavy damage from the energy of the water. So for oh, these... Wow, look at many, that. Nature protecting us. Yeah, nature protecting us from itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so for these and many other reasons, environmental recovery and restoration are important elements of disaster recovery. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that the environment is already not in really the best shape. I think we touched mm -hmm. on that earlier. So we've learned that ecosystem degradation is a global phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And scientists actually found that by 2050, 95% of Earth's land will be degraded. What? That's, that's incredible. That's intense. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So 24 billion tons of soil have already been eroded by unsustainable agricultural practices. No and this way. land degradation is the leading cause of, of losses of ecosystem functions like nutrient cycling and climate regulation. These functions sustain life on Earth, like literally. We've got um, to take better care of them. 
Yeah, definitely. So this is really a crisis. So yeah, at a UN summit, actually, last September, more than 70 world leaders signed uh, a pledge called the Leaders Pledge for Nature. Um, They promised to work on pollution and also the dumping of plastic waste and set up also environmental agreements worldwide. Okay. So it's actually a good step, but the UN says that we need to be ambitious even more than mm-hmm. we are right now. And we, t- we need to take action to rescue the planet's life. I'm totally with you. More ambition, more action. I read some crazy yes. figures the other day from the United Nations Environment Program, UNEP. So check this. Mm-hmm. 4.7 million hectares of forest are lost every year. This is why this is important. Our food systems depend on healthy soils. And the revival mm-hmm. of plants, crops, and forests depends on that soil. And if it's degraded, well, what are we doing with it? Mm-hmm. The restoration of the relationship between the soil and the plants and the microbes that live in that soil, so it's like fungi, bacteria, and viruses, is critical. Soil degradation yeah. not only threatens the intrinsic value of the ecosystem, but also our ability to produce healthy and sustainable foods. Ecosystems support all life on Earth, So protecting them can help end poverty, fight the climate crisis, and prevent a mass extinction. Yeah, which uh, would be, you know, the worst uh, outcome, obviously. Hopefully it Mm. doesn't get to that. Um, You know, what what is really important to notice here is human health. Um, And we notice that human health is actually truly dependent on our general ecosystem's health. Um, and, you know, during the pandemic, 2020, COVID-19, um, it was a really good reminder of how ecosystem mm-hmm. degradation can contribute to the emergence and spread of novel pathogens. Um, so to fight these emerging global conditions and protect the lives of future generations, we really need to protect and restore our habitats and, and general mm-hmm. biodiversity. Also, biodiversity loss could actually make us sick um, restoring environmental microbiomes, which are the diverse networks of microbes in, the, in an environment, could have an impact on our immune system. So through landscape design and restoration, we can actually help restore microbial relationships and as a result, our health and well-being. This is so important. I always think about this, about the microbes that are in the environment and Mm -hmm. the microbes that are in our own bodies. And there's actually an intimate relationship. This is especially important in our region, where there are also lots of crises and disasters. UNEP is working on this, from post-crisis country recovery programs to work under UNEP's Environmental Cooperation for Peacebuilding program. UNEP supports countries in the aftermath of any disaster or conflict to identify and address environmental risks that could have serious Mm -hmm. social and economic impacts. It's a longer-term investment of time and resources, but it's essential for the sustainable growth of countries affected by disaster and conflicts. There's a quote I really like by this author and professor of environment and forest biology, Robin Wall Kimmerer. Uh As we work to heal the earth the earth heals us. And that's literally going back to that relationship I was talking about, the microbes in the environment and the microbes within us. It's always a symbiotic relationship. 
Oh, that's actually very profound, you know, and it it makes mm. you feel responsible that in order to get, you have to give basically back. To yeah, life. absolutely. Um, so I wonder in general around the world, what are we doing about this exactly? So some of the examples of environmental restoration after tsunami and storm surge disasters include things like beach and sand dune restoration, mm -hmm. wetland restoration, water and soil protection, and recovery. Other environmental recovery activities include things like restoration of urban forests, habitat mm -hmm. recovery for wildlife, and even debris recycling. We mentioned UNEP earlier. That's what they're doing. Following a post-crisis mm. environmental assessment, they assist national governments to address environmental priorities through recovery programs that are tailored to that country's specific needs. They can also establish project offices in countries to coordinate the environmental work, as is currently the case with Afghanistan, Sudan, South mm. Sudan, and Haiti. For helping local and national authorities develop effective laws, policies, and institutions to providing training and equipment, the UN helps countries to manage their natural resources in a more effective and sustainable manner. They can also coordinate cleanup efforts or catalyze community-based ecosystem restoration and sustainable reconstruction projects in sites damaged by or vulnerable to conflicts and disasters. That's great. I mean, you know, it's really important to have people working on these topics. Um, yeah. I, I also heard about this organization called Global Green. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you heard about them, but they began responding to environmental disasters by partnering with local communities and governments. So they also partnered with something called the Integral Climate Change Solutions. They, they basically decided to work on the development of climate parks. Oh, I love which, that. I mean, from the sound of it, right? It sounds right? pretty you cool. Just, and, I want to see a climate park now. <laughs> yes. So basically, climate parks uh, rejuvenate nature by using scalable models of sustainable development that generate biodiversity, food, water security, community, and socioeconomic growth. That's, That's so just cool. mind-blowing. Yeah, right? <laughs> yes. So yeah, also in March this year, a new IUCN initiative called on governments to invest in nature as part of their recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic, which I think is really important. Yeah, so they'll basically analyze a range of measures to stimulate economic activity, conserve nature, and also foster sustainable development. The goal is to help decision makers worldwide adopt nature-positive policies and measures guided by tools such as the IUCN Global Standard for Nature-Based Solutions. That's amazing. That's so, mm -hmm. so intense to have all of these instruments and support for governments to be able to make these kind of changes. I also know that the Emirates Nature WWF has done some of that work here in the UAE. Have you heard of the Green Recovery Initiative? Uh, I think so, but tell me more about it. So a green recovery calls on business, government, and individuals around the world to promote and support the green economy, a low-carbon economy that is resource-efficient and socially inclusive. It basically balances economic and social development while significantly reducing environmental risk. Mm -hmm. So the COVID-19 pandemic showed us that our economy can't continue to grow at the expense of nature. The pandemic is just one of the consequences of our constant expansion 
into the wild habitats and overconsumption of natural resources. So ENWWF says that if we continue living the same way, we risk running out mm-hmm. of crucial resources, losing habitats and species forever, and making irreversible changes to our climate. So a green recovery would offer economic returns on investments, generate growth, promote innovation, and create jobs. It would also help secure a healthier and more sustainable future. It would reduce the risk of like future pandemics, improve our health and environmental outcomes, and move us towards a 100% clean future. Man, wouldn't that just be a better world to live in? Right. Just, you know, yeah, just focusing on a green recovery, fixing our past mistakes. I feel like we should really push for that. Um, actually, speaking of which, the Ministry of Climate Change and Environment in uh, the UAE um, launched three projects in June this year mm-hmm. that advances the UAE's efforts to leverage innovation to conserve and restore ecosystems. Okay, cool. So, so it's it's pretty cool. They have actually something I uh, that I find uh, sounds pretty cool. They call it Climathon. Oh, um, like a climate marathon, Climathon, <laughs> something like that. So so yeah, basically what that is all about is the the ministry is working with a company to promote pioneering climate solutions and entrepreneurships in the field of climate change. I um, love it. So the hat. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So the hackathon basically will bring together the brightest minds and to present promising clean tech ideas with a potential global impact that can help solve common challenges to problems like air quality, mobility, and agribusiness. Love it. So the ministry also has campaigns aimed at raising public environmental awareness and engaging youth in environmental preservation and sustainability drives. Um, you know, they, they aim at uh, supporting startups in the climate change and sustainable space. So that's, they're already doing great work there. That's amazing. It's important to be able to give companies like that a platform and also, you know, consolidate all of that effort so that it's visible and they get that kind of launching. But there's more. I also heard about these projects by the ministry. The UAE mm-hmm. Chemical Research Platform is a research network that studies the effects of chemicals on humans and the environment with the aim of promoting the use of clean production technologies and building the capabilities of workers in the field of chemicals management. Another one is the UAE State of Green Economy report. This examines long-term post-COVID-19 recovery strategies in green economy and digital economy. And the report reviews climate change adaptation measures from an economic perspective with a focus on the climate risk assessment that the ministry conducted across key sectors. Look, I think we've talked long enough about this. I know there are some key answers we're going to get from our guests. So let's go to the questions. Awesome. Let's do it. So I'd like to turn to speak to our guest, the Dean of Zaid University's College of Natural and Health Sciences, Faris Hawari. He has a lot of experience and even conducted some studies in the field. First off, Faris, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you very much for having me. So I wanted to start you off with what is environmental recovery and how far gone are we right now? Yeah, well, environmental recovery basically is to bring things back as it should be. When, when we recover something, we bring it back to its natural uh, 
states. So uh, recovery is the same as natural succession, but without the help of the man. Uh, often nature or uh, environment adjusts itself to bring balance to its component after it receives uh, some stresses or disturbances. Uh, the, these disturbances could be natural or could be man-made. Now, environment can respond to that, but if it reaches its maximum capacity, it needs help. So we need to, uh, uh, you know, intervene and we need to recover. We help. We need to help the environment to recover. So basically, environmental recovery in technical term, I don't want to be too much technical, is one of the most effective strategies to achieve sustainable development and help restore communities to normal living conditions. And again, as I mentioned, this is usually happened following an environmental or natural disasters. Both they disturb the environment. You know, like if we talk about hurricanes, uh, we talk about earthquakes, uh, volcanoes, it's similar like, uh, you know, uh, pollution uh, uh, disasters or oil spill, they impact the environment in many ways. And, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the, the recovery steps usually uh, starts with the um, you know, uh, having a natural disaster management plan. Uh, we need to restore the lands. We need to reclaim, uh, to put a proposal to reclaim the, uh, you know, ruined area, reclamation projects. And, uh, of course, you know, improving in infrastructure comes uh, also in the picture. Uh, as if we, how far we are going, uh, currently progress really is going extremely well. And awareness has picked up as we have created uh, more sustainable in the future and people became more aware than, you know, decades uh, uh, in the past. And uh, uh, also, you know, as a matter of fact, various organizations and governments right now take several steps to ensure proper environmental recoveries for communities, not just uh, ecological relief, but going beyond. Uh, this means going uh, to immediate measures taken to support life and sustain morale after the disasters, re-establishing the economies and the social and cultural lives of the people concerned. And of course, uh, you know, the ultimate aim is again to rebuild damaged areas and bring things as it should be. So in essence, this is what is environmental recovery. Yes, thank you. Uh, why don't you tell us about what you do uh, at the College uh, of Natural and Health Sciences? Well, we're doing a lot of things. You know, we're doing uh, research of that focus on waste management. Uh, we're uh, doing uh, actually some uh, uh, experimental uh, designs to remediate uh, polluted areas. Uh, we have, uh, uh, you know, established a coral propagation lab that, uh, you know, focus on, uh, uh, you know, growing uh, uh, corals in the lab and re-seeding uh, it uh, in the back in the Gulf. Uh, we have a uh, nursery that, uh, uh, you know, studies the uh, health of uh, mangrove and Nevesina marinia. Uh, we also, in collaboration with the UAA Space Agency, we developed, uh, uh, you know, class, uh, uh, you know, a very advanced remote sensing lab that study the uh, and observe the earth uh, to manage the natural resources, disasters, salinity. We do, we're doing a lot of things. This is on the environment. Of course, we have other uh, uh, strength in uh, uh, you know public health and uh, psychology, but uh, uh, here I would like just to focus on the environmental aspects. And going back to my first question, 
How far gone are we right now with environmental recovery? Uh, we're doing great. I mean, uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, uh, environmental impact uh, statement studies. We have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, project to restore the degraded environment. Uh, you know, the story of uh, increasing the mangrove in uh, Abu Dhabi and the Emirate is a textbook example. Everybody's talking about it all over the world. Uh, the, uh, you know, the, the fact that we green the deserts and we are living here and bringing uh, these wonderful, uh, you know, natural ecosystems, uh, uh, it's, it's an evidence that we're doing great in terms of recovery. That is uh, brilliant. Uh, I want to jump in here, um, Sir Faris, uh, to talk about, uh, you know, I guess the elephant in the room, right? Uh, something that is on a lot of people's yes. mind, which is the pandemic. So, you yes. know, what, what people don't realize is the pandemic or COVID-19 had an effect on the environment, both positively and negatively. And I want from your perspective to tell us more about that. Well, uh, you know, COVID has brought a lot of changes, changes worth of uh, uh, decades in terms of, uh, uh, you know, digital transformations, in terms of uh, changing our behavior. But, uh, you know, uh, COVID has fundamentally, you know, really changed the world and presents an unprecedented challenge to the environment. Some of the negative environmental impact can be, you know, summarized in a few points. For example, increase the production of biomedical waste uh, as the production of the medical waste has increased globally since the outbreak uh, of the coronavirus. And this uh, represents significant threat to public health. Uh, you know, you want to uh, dispose the waste, you want to find landfills. And of course, my concepts for the waste is uh, waste is not waste. Waste is a resource out of its place. And we need not just to exercise the three R's, re reuse, reduce, uh, and recycle, but refuse, repurpose, and rethink as well. So with all of these things come a lot of challenges. Um, you know, the use of uh, safety equipment and uh, random disposal to to protect the, against the viral infection. This is also a challenge. And currently people, as you know, they are using uh, face masks, hand gloves, and other equipments uh, adding to the healthcare waste. Uh, the amount of waste is uh, uh, really huge due to the increased uh, uh, use of personal protective equipment at the local and global levels. And since the emergence of COVID-19, the manufacturing and usage of plastic-based personal uh, personal protective equipment, uh, you know, peaked up to, uh, you know, unprecedented uh, levels. Uh, the face uh, mask and other plastic, uh, uh, you know, and uh, that, that could yield, that could be source of microplastic that lives and impact the ecosystem and the uh, marine uh, life for decades uh, could become serious a problem, really. You talked about a lot of the waste that we're uh, we're generating, and like you mentioned, a lot most of it is disposable. All the masks and the gloves and so on. Um, however, I guess some of it came with a bit of an awareness where people said, "You know what? Uh, instead of uh, instead of using uh, all these masks, I'm going to just buy a, a reusable mask, a cloth one, right?" True. Other people, sure. other people, instead of uh, all the travel that we did um, previously, other people decided, you know what, let's just have uh, virtual conferences. So I guess there are sort of positive aspects too. Uh, would you care oh, to elaborate course, on that? Of course, 
Of course. I mean, well, the, the, the big one, the grand one, is actually reducing the air pollution and the greenhouse gas emission due to closure of industries, transportation, and businesses during the lockdown when the, the pandemic started. This has led to a sudden drop in green gas uh, uh, emissions, uh, reduction in nitrous uh, oxides and carbon dioxides, and, uh, and uh, this has uh, uh, really uh, helped the environment. Uh, also reducing uh, the water pollution because of the absence of uh, industrial pollution during the closure period. Uh, that was uh, also, uh, you know, helpful and very, uh, you know, advantageous. Also, the quarantine and lockdown uh, uh, tactics limit noise pollution by forcing individuals to stay home, reducing global economic activities, and so on and so forth. Besides what you just mentioned about the awareness uh, to reuse, uh, you know, the masks and to be more sustainable while uh, fighting this uh, global pandemic. That's true. Um, so I guess these are all uh, great aspects that uh, that a lot of people are considering. And, uh, you know, obviously it will help on the overall uh, environmental thinking. You know, I, I hear a lot of people now thinking about, you know, buying stuff locally, um, doing more of uh, local tourism, ecotourism and so on. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for, for shedding a light on that, I guess. I. I wanted to jump in now, having discussed all of this impact and all of this human impact on the environment. I was wondering, which of our environments need recovering most? Well, this is an uh, excellent question to ask about, which uh, uh, I will say all the environmental media should receive equal attention. Soil, water, forest, coastal areas, and you name it. And why we need to do that? Because really all of them are affected equally by the enormous amounts of waste, uh, material, and sometimes poor management uh, uh, in some cases. Uh, and uh, uh, for this reason, I would say that we should focus on all of them. Now, national and the local government and are increasing research work uh, on uh, waste management uh, including medical uh, uh, waste, household waste, and uh, house hazardous waste in general. Um, now, for us here in, in, in the Emirate, I mean, uh, I would say the uh, away from the pandemic and a normal condition, and uh, God willing, we will be back to normal in the near future, and I'm optimistic. You know, uh, the air quality. Air quality is, is important. Air quality... It's not because of, uh, uh, you know, man-made uh, uh, reasons, but because of nature. Because, you know, we receive dust from all over the places, by the way. We receive dust. We don't send dust. The, 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 the oceans of uh, sanded dunes around it, we receive it from uh, distance, from many areas. And this impacts our climate, it impacts our air quality. And, uh, you know, uh, that's something particulate matter and air quality uh, will continue to be a challenge in the future. Uh, you know, uh, right now, Emirates is, is, is a wonderful, successful example about dealing with the uh, water ch shortages. I mean, we developed uh, both uh, management scenarios and uh, water production scenarios. And uh, yeah, we conserve, but uh, water, you know, still uh, a main uh, uh, challenge, but not as uh, before. I love how you uh, were talking about all the, well, the three R's and the other three R's you mentioned. I'd wonder when it comes to environmental recovery, which one of those R's is probably the most effective? 
Well, all of them. But, uh, uh, you know, rethink. I mean, when we think about things, we uh, have to do it in a different way, in an innovative way, you know, in a new way. Think outside the box and uh, be sustainable, do more with less, be innovative. So rethinking is, 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 is the way to go. I would say it's, uh, it's uh, bind all the others together. Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that we have different ways to apply these things. Yes. And definitely rethinking is my favorite option uh, of, of those ours as well. Yeah. So, you know, I, I really want to, want to touch uh, on um, disaster recovery as a concept. So I'll give you an example. When it comes to, for, for instance, oil spill disaster prevention measures, right? Yes. We have improved forecasting and warning systems uh, coastal afforestation projects, uh, cyclone sh- shelters and Im- embankments and so on. So these are sort of measures that help us prevent such disasters from you know, getting uh, to a worse state and so on. Uh, I wonder how do we engage in such environmental action early in a disaster recovery situation? Yes. Well, if you look at the uh, oil spill itself, I mean, oil spill, you know, we usually use it because it's kind of like a textbook example of... Uh, uh, where uh, scientists, engineers, social scientists, and public comes together. Uh, you know, when you have an oil spill, uh, you know, a lot of things happen to this oil spill. Part mm-hmm. of the oil spill uh, dissolve in the water, part emulate, part uh, uh, diffuse, uh, part evaporate to reach, uh, you know, far distance. When it will reach the nearby uh, desalination plant, will it reach the nearby fishery? Uh, 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 you know, coastal communities. How do we, uh, you know, tell them that something uh, uh, bad is coming? Uh, how to prepare them to deal with it? So all of this, you know, it's a typical textbook example of uh, talking about an environmental problem and uh, an interdisciplinary approach to deal with it. And uh, now, human activities in general cause the environmental disaster. And as I mentioned, the oil spill is one of the biggest environmental disasters if, because it threatens the marine uh, systems, the terrestrial ecosystems, reduces biodiversity in the ocean, and uh, deposits a huge amount of toxins that bioaccumulate, causing catastrophic consequences. Uh, it provides also clear evidence that ecosystem restoration efforts are challenging and uh, sometimes requires uh, decades to uh, deal with. Um, Now, first, a quick environmental assessment usually uh, are conducted uh, to deal with the oil spill by environmental expert assessing the oil volume, prevalence, hazards, and toxicity. Yes, uh, uh, you know, we need to prevent the problem, uh, you know, preventing the problem by uh, forecasting, by, uh, you know, predicting when the, uh, you know, this oil spill will reach certain places, how to intervene, how to reclaim it, how to uh, disintegrate it, uh, transform it into, uh, you know, some uh, uh, different hazard forms, and we can do that. So prevention is one of the most critical aspects of uh, disaster management, but it's also the hardest part to implement. I mean, it's not easy. You're talking about ocean. If you go right now in a fishing uh, a trip, you see how big is the ocean and uh, how difficult it is to manage uh, the ocean or anything in the ocean. So the foundation of prevention planning consists of uh, hazard identification. And again, this is not easy. 
what is the real danger that the community that the community will face from where it will come from which source at what time how we're going to communicate communicate it and also assist the uh, vulnerability uh, of the uh, whole situation now one of the things that uh, really we try to do here at uh, Zaid University is uh, developing early warning systems using uh, satellite images and air, you know drones technology and uh, remote sensing technologies and uh, we tested it uh, you know just for experiments and uh, we have some uh, uh, you know successes at you know monitoring some uh, uh, changes and uh, some uh, uh, natural environmental uh, uh, hazards away from the oil spills, by the way. So uh, early warning systems are an essential component of the prevention process since they assist in decreasing the economic uh, losses and the number of injuries uh, uh, caused by uh, any catastrophe, such as the oil spill. Um, so this is basically, you know, my reflection on this uh, yeah, I, I mean, these are all, you know, brilliant ways of dealing with this. And and obviously, they should have been there um, er, earlier, uh, you know, because, as you mentioned, how devastating an oil spill could be to, to, to the marine ecosystem, uh, yes. which is actually one of the most valuable ecosystems we have in, in, in a coastal um, country like the UAE. Um, I wonder, have they adapted these practices due to COVID-19? Was it like a big, um, yeah? Yeah, I mean, it, it is important because, you know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, when we talk about the coastal systems in, in, in the Emirates here, the coral reef come into the play, come into the picture, okay? And uh, the coral reef uh, uh, is... Uh, you know, vulnerable for a lot of uh, things, including oil spill, climate change, and it is very important because it to protect the coastal region by lowering the force of uh, waves that reaches the shore. Uh, it's also, you know, um, play as a nursery for the, uh, you know, fisheries, and uh, also it decrease the warm temperature of the uh, uh, ocean, by the way. Uh, warmer air temperature and rising carbon dioxide living in salt water can also uh, bleach it. So it's like two ways relation. Uh, coral may push algae out of the ocean by uh, changing temperatures by as little as two degrees Fahrenheit. So th the point here is there is a very strong link between environmental recovery, uh, oil spills, uh, coral reef, and uh, the system in, in general. It's, it's an ecosystem. So... Now that we're talking about ecosystems, I was wondering about the UAE. How do we begin yes. environmental recovery in our own ecosystems here? Well, by assessing which one is most uh, uh, impacted, vulnerable. Uh, you know, I just uh, gave an example of the coral reef. Uh, you know, for example, uh, uh, sure, you probably know that we have uh, in Abu Dhabi about 1,190 square kilometers of uh, coral reefs, uh, and uh, this puts the UAE about uh, uh, in the rank of the 38th globally in terms of coral uh, reef size. And uh, uh, the Environment Agency of Abu Dhabi and the Ministry of uh, Environment and the universities, they are doing uh, great to recover the coral and to protect the coral reefs and uh, the uh, coastal areas. Uh, you know, coast, uh, the, the, in Emirates here, the coral reefs are currently threatened, by the way. 
uh, roughly 90% of the corals in Abu Dhabi are extinct. So we need to do something about that. And it's not easy. I mean, we tried with, uh, uh, you know, major project lasted for three years uh, to uh, grow uh, coral back in the ocean. And it was, uh, uh, you know, fun uh, research line, but there was a lot of disappointments. I mean, we put the coral back, it dies, uh, you know, because of very uh, uh, high temperatures, bleaching, uh, you know, uh, we had limited successes here and there, and we are continue to uh, explore what is the best method to optimize uh, the growth of coral back in the ocean. These are uh, important uh, recovery projects that uh, we need to continue uh, improving and do more of the same. The single most significant uh, world danger for, for coral in general is the climate change. And this is a big problem. Everybody is responsible at the individual level, at the local level, national and global levels. And, uh, you know, the, uh, we've done a lot of progresses there in terms of management, in terms of carbon capture, in terms of gasifications, burners, uh, uh, you know, uh, reclamation and remediation technologies to improve the, uh, you know, the, 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 the climate. But uh, again, still there's more to do. So I was wondering then, you mentioned climate change impacting this. How, what, what are we looking at from climate change that's making it difficult for whether it's the coral reef recovery work or any other recovery work for that matter? Well, the, the scale of the problem, I mean, the, the scale of the problem, you know, uh, uh, it is, uh, you know, uh, what happened uh, usually is not necessarily within your border. I mean, it's a global. I mean, uh, uh, and uh, we're not talking about, uh, we're, you know, the, 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 the global climate shift patterns that happens during the geological uh, 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 cycles. You know, in the last uh, hundred years, uh, the we 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 messed up the uh, the hydrocarbon cycle. We extracted a lot of the carbon that uh, the geological history, uh, you know, put together in millions and millions of years. We got it out in hundreds of years. How are you going to manage it? It's a time scale, okay, and also spatial scale. We, we, we escalated the uh, release of the natural carbon uh, that uh, uh, took the air, again, millions and millions of years to sink it down, to stable it, to put it in oceans, and even in oil and coal and, uh, uh, you know, shale and you name it. So we extracted that and we, and, and, and so it's, it's, it is uh, not easy, you know, to, to, to bring things back as uh, it was, but uh, technologies like the amino-based uh, carbon capture is doing good. Uh, there is a dream in the future where you put uh, carbon capture traps in the, like the wind uh, farms and it capture the excess carbon and uh, it takes it away to where it should belong, whether underground or you put it in enhanced oil recovery or whatever good purpose for it. But again, this is too idealistic. It, it is it yeah. like science fiction, but it could happen. That's true. I mean, technology can only do so yes. much, right? Uh, the onus is upon us to sort of change our behavior. Um, you did mention how, um, yeah, you, you did mention how the, the coral reefs in Abu Dhabi are 
impacted in a really serious way. Um, you're talking about, you know, what you mentioned, like a 10% uh, of the of the historical uh, coral reefs that we had. Um, the issue with this, uh, like you mentioned as well, is global. So um, the individual's carbon footprint, regardless of whether you're impacting directly our environment or, or, or not, eventually will cause an impact on, on the coral reefs in Abu Dhabi. High. It's pretty high, of course. So, so actually, uh, from your perspective, I want to understand what is the importance of environmental education for environmental recovery? Yes. Well, uh, uh, environment, you know, it's, it's, it's inter interdisciplinary. And uh, you have environmental scientists, a guy who try to understand why things are happening. Uh, you know, you have the engineer is trying to design to intervene and make things work better or clean. You have the, uh, the people who uh, love to describe how beautiful the environment and uh, they want to change the people behavior and the psychology to the psychological behavior and the stigmas and the stereotype about certain environmental issues to the better. So environmental you know, education is really an interdisciplinary field and drawing from uh, or drawing from uh, taking from different social, physical and biological sciences. And, uh, uh, you know, environmental education also, uh, it's a knowledge, okay? Uh, and we need to have this knowledge to know the current state and the prospects of the nature itself. Uh, it teaches us, okay, as citizens, teaches students to explore uh, all issues related to their well-being, uh, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, and of course we need to do that in an intelligent way, in one purpose in mind, to conserve it, to sustain it, and to make it last for the future. So environmental education can create feelings of ownership, by the way, and the civic engagement and empowerment. And uh, also at the university, we embarked on a service learning uh, program uh, where we teach uh, students uh, environmental uh, concepts through uh, serving, through going to the field, through participating, through volunteering, through internship. And, uh, uh, you know, our students are really enjoying it. Uh, active youth engagement is a must when we're talking about the environment, actually, and to create the culture about environmental education. So active youth engagement, as I mentioned, focus on many issues. And, uh, you know, uh, we need to start these wonderful environmental values at, uh, uh, you know, an early stage, really, and to prepare engaged uh, citizens and to, uh, in the environment and understand the environment and develop the skills to study and uh, protect it, not necessarily as a field, you know, as a, a discipline to work, uh, or their own discipline. No, this is something that they can do to enjoy, you know, to spend time to uh, contribute to the community and part of their civic engagements. Indeed. I mean, uh, I want to personally thank you for the work that uh, that you do in, in, in your, um, you know, perspective as a dean in, in, a, in a local university. Um, and I want to, you know, thank you as well for joining us today. It was great getting to know you and getting to know all the work that um that is really impactful and, and really meaningful. So uh, again, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Faras, today. Thank you very much for having me and we'll see you later.
Thank you so much, Faris, and thank you to everyone for listening. You can also hear the rest of our discussions on the environment on other episodes, so make sure you don't miss on those either. This is Majid Al-Qasimi and Abdelhaman Al-Zaabi signing out. Bye, Bye guys. guys.